Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and forgotten taxpayers to the one and only Conservative Review podcast here at our Northern Command Center on this last day of January, Friday, last day of a very busy week. Boy, are we eager to get this week into the can and uh, get some uh, rest and recovery. But guys, I need you to go and send this stuff off everywhere. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave us a good rating so the liberal algorithms will treat us kindly. And folks, we got to stay focused. We got to stay focused. Now, you talk about forgotten taxpayers, forgotten American patriots, forgotten sovereign citizens. Who exactly is standing up for us? There's a lot of grumbling now among my colleagues in this business about Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, all of these liberal Republicans that are sandbagging Trump with impeachment, not to mention the fact that they're liberal on every policy issue. Yet, none of them remember that at each time there was an opportunity to do something about it. I bring up Joe Miller running in Alaska, and everyone's like, oh, you mean in 2010? And I say, no, I mean in 2016 when he ran on a third-party ballot and he, and he came very close. He had no money, and if he would have had a monicum of support, he would have won. We wouldn't have had to deal with Lisa Murkowski. We're at a point where we're not only sleeping while patriots are running on our values and bad people get elected. We're sleeping when they get reelected even after they screw us and reelected and reelected again and again and again. You know what? At this pace, I'll predict to you, Lisa Murkowski and Mitt Romney will get renominated because nobody is focusing. Nobody's focusing. Just last night, my friend Jim Jordan announced he's endorsing Kevin McCarthy for speaker if Republicans take over the House. So what do we have to look forward to as conservatives? Best case scenario, Trump gets reelected. They hold the Senate with 90% rhinos there, and they take over the House. You will have the same leadership that grew government, except for ICE, of course, um, the one area where we actually need more funding when they had trifecta control, doing nothing about the courts, doing nothing about a healthcare system that's crazy. Some of you might have seen my tweet last night about just the insanity of even getting a a, a Z-pack for strep throat for your kid. Um, how we don't have healthcare freedom in this country. Nothing. We don't have a voice on a single issue. To this day, no reaction to Pensacola, the coronavirus in China. We still haven't shut off travel. What is going on? Impeachment's going to be over soon. It's going to be over. We need issues, not just to run on, but also to enact after the election. What does a second term look like? These are the building blocks. As I've said before, the gap, the gulf between electing a Chip Roy type of Republican versus the status quo Republican is just as wide, if not wider, than between electing a Republican in a general election versus a Democrat. And we always hear these sharp debates over, oh my gosh, you can't have the Democrats win. Hey, Daniel, the Republican has to win. You, you gotta vote. Okay, okay. Where is that same passion in the primary, when you could actually ensure that you're not left with the lesser of two evils or the evil of two lessers.
but yet everyone sleeps. Everyone sleeps. We, we are now embarking on a primary season. It's starting very early this year. As early as March in states like Texas, early voting, which is increasingly earlier and earlier and earlier because we, we don't have voting day, we have voting year, um, is, is beginning next month in, in a couple of days, a couple of weeks. And, you know, imagine having another 10 Chip Roy's, another 15 Chip Roy's. Imagine having, I was going to try to think of some good senators, but there aren't really too many of them, Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, as opposed to Lisa Murkowski's and, you know, Rob Portman's and Lamar Alexander's and all these guys. We will have a much better second term. We will have some representation. But if we sleep through it, we're going to wind up with the same problems. If we don't get in the president's face, he's going to be convinced to not only stay out, but actually endorse the very swampy members that are giving us these problems. It doesn't have to be this way. We could have our cake and eat it too. You know, you could engage in a general election, but engage in the primaries. Beginning next week is the Democrat primary season with um, the Iowa caucuses on Tuesday night. 100% of my colleagues in this business are going to be focused 100% on refereeing Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and, and Joe Biden. Who cares? As a conservative, you can't affect their outcome, nor should we care. They're all equally as bad. But what we, what we should hope for is a coherent, cohesive, smart, principled alternative to combat whatever clown show emerges from that primary. So shouldn't we as conservatives that have conservative megaphones and could influence Republican primary voters focus on Republican primaries? I know many of you have been very helpful to me, sending me emails on candidates you think I should promote. And today I'm going to bring you what I believe might possibly be the most important congressional race of this season, at least so far. It's a race that I'm actually ashamed to say I was unaware of until this week. Even I was unaware of it, so that just demonstrates that we're all kind of sleeping. If you want to talk about the embodiment of the swamp, the embodiment of setting up Trump's second term for failure, I present to you Congresswoman Kay Granger from the Fort Worth area, Texas's 12th district. Now, the thing about Kay Granger is she is the ranking Republican on the House Appropriations Committee. Were they to win back the majority, she would be the chair of that committee. That is everything. As you well know, budget is not only the size of government and spending, but it's the policy priorities because they don't legislate anymore, and everything gets embedded in the end-of-year omnibus bills. That's it. So all these bills that we see that under Republicans have grown the Department of Education by 15% and HUD and all these agencies, yet nothing more for ICE when we have 3 million known criminal aliens in this country that we need to deport for the military at the border, border security, nothing for the few areas that are the core jobs of the federal government. That all comes out with the House. It starts with the House. It starts with the House Appropriations Committee. Kay Granger's been there over 20 years. She's a social liberal. She's a fiscal liberal. She's a national security liberal. She's open borders. She's a big spender. Um, whereas even most Republicans officially are pro-life, but then don't do anything about it, she's not even officially pro-life. She might call herself that, um, but we'll talk about that on the show today. In comes a patriot willing to run. Now, look, 
I've said before, I'm not going to tilt at windmills. If, if a guy is not going to raise a modicum of cash, God bless him, but there's no chance. Chris Putnam has put together a very legitimate campaign, so legitimate that our friends at the Club for Growth have actually endorsed him against an incumbent, Kay Granger. Very rare occurrence. It's very hard to beat an incumbent. They, they clearly see a lot of viability here. Uh, Chris is a lifelong businessman, uh, 30 years in the tech industry, but certainly doesn't represent the um, border values of a lot of these tech executives. And he, he had a short stint as a local uh, county uh, uh, commissioner, county councilman. And he's really like you and me. A lot of people say, Daniel, why don't you run for office? Well, I'm here in central Maryland. Uh, you know, you can't win. But here is a man willing to run. Do we have his back? With no further ado, it's an honor to bring to the Conservative Review Podcast, Chris Putnam, running for Congress in Texas's 12th District. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, Daniel, really appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, it's really exciting. It, it, small correction, it's Putnam. Putnam, okay, well, 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 there you go. There was another congressman that was kind of a swamp monster with a similar name, and that's how I think they pronounced him. So Chris Putnam, 12th District, just so you guys know, this is Fort Worth West, western part of the city going out to parker county um here's the deal trump won this district by over 30 points republican district we're not talking about susan collins in maine a tougher state there's no reason why we shouldn't have a better conservative um here's my question to you you heard everything i said you heard the opening monologue you're watching what's going on what exactly do you hope to accomplish were you to elect it, to be elected to this house, given what you see from this GOP leadership? Yeah, you know, I would say that everything you said is exactly right, and in, in, particularly when you said we had the trifecta. You know, just just three years ago, for for two years, and did it and squandered it, did absolutely nothing with it. You know, short of the tax cut, the corporate tax cut, you know, was absolutely great. Thing. It was transformation of our economy, but we we didn't fundamentally solve. The, the border issue, we did nothing with immigration. We did nothing to defund Planned Parenthood. There, there was just a tremendous opportunity, you know, after eight years of an Obama administration to do a lot of great reform-minded, conservative reform-minded, you know, things and did nothing. And of course, my opponent, you know, she, as you mentioned, you know, on every single conservative scorecard there is, you know, she's, she's an F, you know, and maybe a low D in some. And so this district, we know is deeply politically and socially conservative, and it's been represented for 24 years now, you know, by 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 a liberal Republican. But why would you want to create party division? I mean, she's pro-life. She's for limited government. I mean, she says a lot of people were messaging me um, on Twitter. It must be her campaign got wind of this or people associated with her. I mean, what's what's wrong with her? I mean, do you want the Democrats to win? Well, you know, as you pointed out, it's a it's a what we call plus 20 district, right? It's completely safe. And I, and look, I, I do support the party. I, you know, I, the party is not, you know, legislating as conservatively as, as I would like, you know, by a long shot. But at the same time, this is, this district is safe. Um, there is absolutely no threat, you know, of a Democrat winning this district. And so we felt like, you know, given that, you know, this was the, the, the time, you know, to really give folks, you know, a new choice and, and a choice that better reflects their their political and social values than you know the representation we've had for the last 24 years. And let's talk about that. So the last 24 years, uh, we'll focus on the big government side of it. Um, we have tripled the size of the federal government. I mean, so literally the federal budget has tripled during Ms. Granger's tenure. 
the, the, the national debt, as you know, is well over $23 trillion now. It is five times higher than the day she started. And of course, we're running a trillion dollar annual budget deficit. So that's, look, that's the definition of big government, the definition. And as you pointed out, she's the ranking member of appropriations. So she is responsible. And, you know, also, as you mentioned, you know, as it relates to border security and immigration reform, we had a chance to do something about it three years ago and did absolutely nothing. And here, here we have a very senior, she's not technically leadership, but she's senior member of Congress from Texas, where we're being directly impacted, you know, you know, by this issue and certainly, you know, by the associated crime. And there was no leadership there, none at all. And so, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because we now have the endorsements of most of the county sheriffs that are in this district. And a lot of those folks are, you know, some of the most popular Republican elected officials in our area. And our own sheriff here in Tarrant County, Bill Weyburn, is really kind of the national face now, you know, of the of the border crisis and immigration crisis. Um, um, he's on he's a, he's up in D.C. all the time and on national television explaining people the impacts, you know, sexual trafficking and drug trafficking that these guys are dealing with right here in North Texas. And so. It's very powerful that, that they're supporting us because they understand that nothing has happened. And these sheriffs are basically raising their hands. The law enforcement community is saying, hey, you guys did absolutely nothing. And so we're going to send a guy up there who's going who's to pound the table and make sure that these issues do get publicly addressed without you know, succumbing to you know, the, the, the political correctness and the liberal media and all their, their threats and name calls. See, this is something I can't figure out. Last year I had on this very program – um, the mayor of Uvalde, Texas, and he was talking about his town was overrun, town of 17,000 people was overrun with, with the social problems, the fiscal problems, the security problems. And what I'm stupid, I'm stupefied by this. I, I, I look back and I see Texas had almost a million people came to the border. Texas took it on the nose. 80%, 80% of the migration was in Texas, not in the other three states. And I look at the representation there. I, I remember, and 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 his name was, um, you know, he was on on the program before. It was Mayor McLaughlin from Uvalde, and he was calling out the federally elected officials. You know, there's one thing. Okay, you have the New York, California dudes. They, they were quiet. So imagine this. Imagine these sheriffs. You know, again, the most popular Republic elected officials in these counties supporting a challenger against a 24 year incumbent. They. They, they are screaming for help from the federal government, screaming for help, and they're getting none. And the, the crisis, as you know, you know, gets worse every day. Of course, more walls going up thanks to Trump, not Congress, Trump. And because, you know, of course, he had to declare the national emergency when they didn't get. By the way, it was Miss Granger in her role, you know, as the, the minority you know, ranking member of appropriations that didn't get the wall funded appropriately or adequately. And it was more than that. It's detention beds, which the Democrats negotiate you down on so that when the detention beds are full, we just let folks out, as well as just the number of, you know, border security and immigration enforcement officials. And so she was the chair of the subcommittee in charge of that, not ranking member. I mean, this was the first two years they had full control. So she was actually the majority. Well, she, and, and at the time, I want to be fair, um, she was she was not the ranking member of appropriations three years ago. But again, she 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 still had a tremendous opportunity. Subcommittee. Yeah, she was on the subcommittee. Um, yeah. So now, now now she would be the chairwoman of the full subcommittee. And this is the thing. Is that really what we want? So um, headed forward, 
and this just does tie in a lot because a lot of the crime is illegal immigration. Proposal for a, na- for a, for a national sanctuary city ban. Immunity for law enforcement officers who are you know, in these sanctuary states and cities that are trying to enforce federal law and they're being targeted and persecuted by their superiors. There's, a, there's an outstanding rep here in Texas, a, a freshman rep, Lance Gooden, who just filed a bill like that. There, there's a few of them out there, Daniel, but we need more. So I want you to elaborate on that, uh, Chris, if you can. Um, what what you could do at a federal level with sanctuary cities, because what you have there in Texas, it's not quite the same story as, as New York and California. But even though officially under state law, they're not allowed to be sanctuaries. I speak to law enforcement and Dallas, especially Harris County. There's problems there. There's soft sanctuaries. Yeah. <laughs> Bayer County. It's, it's you, you, you empower you know, your, your, your local law enforcement agencies. I don't, are you familiar with the 287G program? Yep. Yeah. So our Tarrant County Sheriff, again, I think he's the largest city and he represents Fort Worth, of course, Tarrant County's Fort Worth. Um, and we're, we're, we're effectively the largest, you know, red County left in the country, by the way, our urban area, but he, he represents the, he, he uses that 287G program to effectively deputize, you know, local law enforcement. So they act like a force multiplier and they have the ability to enforce federal immigration law. And so we could do that. We could do that in a lot of places, you know, with respect to not enforcing, you know, these cities that are choosing not to enforce it. Look, you know, the answer, we got to cut off the funding. And of course, that's going to be challenging right now. And, you know, Republicans are in the minority. But until Republicans start acting like Republicans and certainly start acting like conservatives and actually, you know, delivering sensical, you know, common sense solutions to what's going on at the border. We're never going to get the majority back. I mean, that's why we lost it, you know, a couple of years ago because they didn't deliver. And and, and speaking of, you know, blurring the lines. So this ties in very much the issue of crime. Crime is going up in a lot of places. San Antonio and Harris County is a big problem. Um, Certainly other parts of the country are really bad now. And Kay Granger. I mean, those urban areas, as you know, are managed by Democrats. Yeah. The mayor of Houston is he's one of the absolute worst. So you would think when you get Republicans in power, you would combat that and you would provide an alternative. So Kay Granger, among all of the establishment Republicans, voted for this bill that let out. I mean, we're talking about state criminals let out the ones targeted by federal prosecutors, um, Latin Kings members. There was a Latin King member who was released as a result of the jailbreak bill they passed in December of 2018. And he uh, went on to kill someone in Providence, Rhode Island. What do you think we could do at a federal level to stem the tide of this insanity jailbreak that we're seeing, this abolish prison? Everyone knows about abolish ICE, but there's this abolish prison movement that, frankly, a lot of what would be your would become your colleagues are subscribing to. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, a lot of it is, you know, we got to we got to put violent criminals and certainly criminals that are you know, engaged in um, violent crime with handguns in prison longer, you know, whether that's, you know, mandatory sentences, whatever. But they, we, we spend so much time talking about gun control. The answer is actually not that complicated. Again, if you commit a if you commit a violent crime using a firearm, you need to go to jail. You need to stay there. You know, it, that will discourage, you know, any further use of that, obviously. And, you know, again, that's where, you know, if we're getting if we're getting just too lax because this argument that, you know, some of our prisons are getting overcrowded. The fact is, look, if we need to invest more in incarceration, let's invest more in incarceration to keep these guys off the street. This is what I don't understand. I mean, these people, they have money for everything. 
for government to get involved in agriculture, healthcare, education, you name it. And then when it comes to the things that a civil society, the underpinnings of the social compact that you need a government for, which is safety and security, it's domestic crime, it's 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 obviously infiltrations at the border. Suddenly, oh, we have no money left. I mean, we have 5,000 ICE deportation officers. There's 20,000 NYPD officers for context. And even if you would just only deport criminal illegal aliens that have a criminal arrests or charges or convic- convictions, there's three million of them outstanding. We are holding on to three million of other countries' criminals when we have our own, and you know, suddenly there's no money. Okay, that's that's precisely why Tarrant County Sheriff Weyburn is he's a hero, because if you if, if you are arrested for a crime or if you have a history of you know, a criminal record and you're here illegally and you end up in his jail, you're going home. You're going home. And if every city, you know, did what he was doing, we'd have a lot less problems with respect to the the, the recidivism problem, you know, with the, the illegal crime issue. I want to take a little bit of a turn to... By, by the way, Daniel, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned all these different, you know, we're prioritizing the wrong things, right? And so the Club for Growth actually has this ad you know, that she, they're running right now in this campaign um, where they claim that, you know, Ms. Granger, you know, actually funded like a lobster institute in Maine. <laughs> so we're funding lobster institutes, you know, but we're- Well, Maine, Maine's the least of the problem. We actually, the budget bills they just passed and the NDAA in December funded border security in Jordan, Tunisia, um, you name it. Um, then it's okay. You can't have it here when we have border tunnels now- um, being discovered, dug three quarters of a mile into California. Um, thankfully, in Texas, the terrain makes it a little bit hard to dig tunnels, but it's a problem in California. I want to change gears a little bit here, uh, Chris. What I'm fascinated by this, I'm something I really can understand, but I think this cuts to the core of what is threatening our civilization, our, our civil society, and I'm not really sure what to do about it. And I'm wondering if you have insight into this. The left always had control of the institutions, um, media, academia, entertainment, foundations, um, that they've had. But what I feel allowed them to really turn the corner was when they got the business world. The business world is not only not a bulwark against that social transformation, but what once that's become the default, now they serve as the enforcers of cultural Marxism. So, for example... They'll pocket, the, as you mentioned, the corporate tax cut. And, and I agree with it economically. But they'll, they'll pocket that. Well, just let, let me finish this point. So they'll pocket that. They'll pocket the GOP's one thing they'll fight for, which is tax cuts. Then that saves them from the Democrats. They turn around and promote the transgender stuff. They promote jailbreak, criminal justice deform. They promote endless refugees. They promote open borders. They promote individual welfare because that's like their writ of passage that 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 makes it kosher for them to to earn their profit so yeah yeah i'm a good person i and but but it's killing us they're 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 funding all this stuff you are in the tech industry for a number of years you 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 have a startup now um could you give us some insight into where this is coming from and how we can maybe turn the corner on this yeah, well, no, look, you're absolutely right. And certainly, you know, the, the big tech companies, the Silicon, you know, the Silicon Valley giants are, I mean, they're they're engaged in full-scale political activism, right? Um, and, 
And, and your point is very fair. Um, I am not one that believes that we should completely eliminate the H1 program because I have been in the tech industry. I think we should absolutely radically reduce what we're doing there. Um, it should be confined to just very niche skill sets that are you know more difficult to, to find. H1B, they're run-of-the-mill programmers. There's nothing. India has monopolized it. So if you get someone from France or another country that's really high-skilled, they're boxed out. That's right. And, and well, by the way, you know, one of the reasons that and this is not exactly the same use case, but one of the reasons that folks have historically not wanted to challenge, you know, Ms. Granger is because we have a huge defense contractor business in this area. And look, I'm as strong on national defense as anybody. I mean, we build the F-35 here, right? But she's turned around and outsourced some of those, some of the, 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 the functions, you know, of, of those businesses to places like Turkey and Detroit. And so it's like, what are we doing? You know, these are these are these are jobs that we can have right here in North Texas. And of course, we have one of the healthier economies in the country. And the other thing that you said, you know, is absolutely true as well. Business owners do have a responsibility here. You know, in Texas, of course, what we hear is that, you know, we, we don't have enough you know, people to, to do these you know, lower, lower income jobs or these lower paying jobs. But what nobody ever talks about is the cost. You know, to, 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 you know, be managing, you know, millions, you know, of, of, of illegal folks here in the country or but certainly in the state of Texas, the cost in public education alone is in the billions, billions. I mean, most school districts around here, we had a teacher just recently in the Fort Worth Independent School District that just retweet or replied to a Trump tweet. Mr. President, save us. My school is completely overrun with illegals and we're losing control, you know, of our culture here. And she got fired by the school district, fired. Now, I, I believe this teacher's gonna end up really wealthy <laughs> because, I mean, it was just a flat out stone cold, like no justification for that and a clear violation of her First Amendment rights. And of course, if, if an educator said something, you know, contrary to Trump, they'd be celebrated, of course. So a lot of it is we have to get more vocal, right? You know, we, we need leadership and we need representation that's willing to fight that's willing to be vocal, that's willing not to, you know, succumb to, you know, these 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 bogus liberal media narratives. Is it in back to as it relates to businesses, they have sorry, a responsibility sorry. too. They have a responsibility and, and their responsibility is to ensure that, you know, that we are maintaining a level playing field. And look, I always say this, once we do get the border secure and we eliminate the incentives that cause people to migrate here illegally in the first place, which is what nobody ever talks about, free education and healthcare as an example, then maybe we can have a conversation about whether things like, you know, guest worker permits are acceptable, right? There may be a there may be a role for some things like that, even paths to earn citizenship for some people. But there's no point in even having the discussion until we actually get because it's all going to going to wind up with that same result. We know where where it's where it's headed. It, it, it's the same thing I say with 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 crime. Ninety percent we under incarcerate, right? Could you find a handful of people maybe that don't need to be in jail? Look, let's get tough on the ones we should all agree we, we need to be tougher, but you're getting more lenient, and then we can have a discussion. But don't fall into their into their trap. And, and and that's the thing. Like what I find fascinating is that Silicon Valley, so this is amazing. Oh, it's been high skilled. They filed an amicus brief in the crazy litigation against Trump's public charge rule, suddenly like no, I want them on welfare. Well, wait, I thought you were for high skilled. But it's this one big, giant, ideological, log-rolling gravy train of open borders where they all they all kind of back each other. I'm looking on my phone here. I'm trying to find an article I wrote. Um, you mentioned education, and I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll dig this up later. But 
roughly, it's something like 30% of all Texas school children in, in the public school system are ELL, emerging language le- learners. I can't verify that. I wouldn't be surprised. And it's, I mean, you can't have a, see, this is the problem. America, th- this is what bothers me about the corporations. America is not a spreadsheet, okay? And I think this is what's bothering a lot of people that has fueled the Trump movement, that has fueled everything, that it's almost like because of technology, despite the dumpster fire of our country and the culture and the debt and everything, you're able to earn a good living and be happy and and, and executives can live in a good neighborhood. And they just don't give a darn about the language, the culture, the, you know, the balkanization. You, you can't have that. Like, you can't have 60 right right now. Well, let's be clear. So this is, I mean, it's honestly, the, I mean, a lot of these folks that you're talking about, maybe not on the Silicon Valley side, but in other businesses, and certainly businesses in Texas, these are, these are Republicans. And I don't even, so there's the cultural aspect, absolutely. And we see it here every day. Just the other day, a high school football team around here literally running across the field with a Mexican flag, public school. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, by the way, I want to make this clear. So half of my family's Hispanic. I got, I got sure. laws that my, and a, and a, and a Tejano niece, first generation from Chihuahua, Mexico. And so you have to reject this notion that, you know, wanting to actually protect American culture, you know, protect English as our language and, 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 and insisting on legitimate border security you know, conflates in any way with racism. And not enough people are willing to do that because they're scared. They're scared of the name calling. They're scared of labeling. And look, if it's not true, why should you care? Right? And the two things are <laughs> completely separate. And, and, and Nobody stands up to them and challenges them on it because nobody wants to be called a racist. So, so that's, that's a thing. It's, it's, it's the name calling. And I want to transition into the next leg of the stool. We have stuff that, I mean, I'm younger than you, and I, I it shocks the consciousness how we've devolved to a point so quickly where it's settled science that human beings could change the weather, but Y and X chromosomes are not. And yet, and yet, the left is succeeding in embedding this agenda in all three, 4,000 counties in America, and yet Republicans, even at a committee level, They have done nothing to respond to Obergefell, which has codified this stuff. They have responded nothing on defunding Planned Parenthood. Um, You have now, I mean, you're a businessman, you're not a doctor, but you know enough that if if a doctor, if someone comes over to a doctor and says, you know what, I'm a trans beast and I want to like walk around without arms. Could you chop off my arm and amputate my arm? I, I don't think you're allowed to do that. I mean, it's a violation of the Hippocratic Oath. But, you know, so certainly to cut off the other thing, which is systemically a lot more devastating than than that, it would be a no brainer. I mean, government criminalizes and regulates every aspect of health care. But we have that. You had the case in Texas where yeah, actually we had it right here in Fort Worth, Texas. OK, so, yeah, I mean, what could you do about that? For controversial case where, you know, the Fort Worth Independent School District, you know, wanted to, you know, allow transgender bathrooms and. And that's what they're doing. And so a lot of folks in the community were very, very, very upset with it and just, you know, opposing, you know, this this notion that we would allow, um, you know, you know, folks in each other's restrooms became highly controversial for some reason. And it's, you know, I what I don't even know what to say. I mean, to me, these things aren't even logical at this point. And it's and again, it's not about 
it has nothing to do it has nothing to do with, 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 with prejudice. It has to do with protecting our kids, you know, um, and, and certainly protecting our school-aged children. But, I mean, the reality is it might be absurd, but they're winning, and, and they're, you know, they're embedding it. And whenever we have a legislature— Nobody stands up and pushes back. No, no one pushes back. I mean— They don't want the public scrutiny. They don't want the media scrutiny. They don't want their, their they don't want protests in front of their house. They don't want their phone blowing up. That's, these people are, as you know— they're, they're intolerant and they're angry and they're militant to a large extent. And um, that's, so we, that's what you risk. That's what I'm risking right now. But you know why I'm risking it? Because I know, I know that, that this congressional district is deeply politically and socially conservative and our current representation is not. And it's time to get people that like, as you pointed out, will, because there's a small handful of course in DC today, but it's time to get more people up in DC that will stand up and fight and not fear them not fear them. And I don't fear them. So here's the, here's the 800 pound gorilla in the room. And this audience really rarely hears from anyone other than Chip Roy, who's willing to talk about it. And I'm sure you know, Chip, far, farther, farther south, um, different part of Texas, but same values. And the problem is, Nothing we're talking about matters until there's one issue that that is settled, and that's the judiciary. Um, we have three branches of government and then 50 state governments, and the judiciary was supposed to be the weakest branch of government. Um, I say on the show all the time, Edward uh, Bates, who was the Abraham Lincoln's attorney general, he wrote in a letter, and I think beautifully explaining, it is the special function of the judiciary to hear and determine cases, not to establish principles nor settle questions so as to conclude any person but the parties and previous to the cases of judged. And he goes on to explain that obviously a court, you know, it's IBM v. Microsoft, Smith v. Jones. You don't take a case that you give straw man standing to backdoor decide a national political question and somehow that's binding over the other two branches of government. Yet, everything you would want to accomplish, let's say we were finally, all right, we're done with sanctuary cities. We're done with stealing America's birthright where people could sneak into the country, unilaterally assert jurisdiction and say, ha, 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 my kid's an automatic citizen. Um, right. A man's a man, a woman's a woman, all this stuff. The circuit courts come in and like a man's a woman, a, a, an alien's a citizen. And and all, Republicans are like, oh, there's nothing we can do. It's a law of the land. It's just, would, would you promise this audience that if they support you, you will push legislation properly defining and really just reiterating the scope of judicial power, Article 3, Section 2, that Congress has full um, ability to accept and regulate the jurisdiction of the federal courts. Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a constitutionalist. Like, yeah, I, we, we've got to get back to allowing Congress to do their job and, um, and, and pass these. Like, look, if we, if this, as you know, like one of the, the – Probably the finest achievement of the Trump administration to date has been how he's transforming the federal judiciary. We got to keep, we got to stay at it, got to stay at it. And then the role, the role of an individual rep, you know, is, is, is exactly, is precisely what you said. You submit as much, you, you put the legislation on their doorstep and you keep doing it and you keep doing it and you keep doing it. 
and we chip away, chip away, chip away. I mean, that's that's the way it's going to have to work, unfortunately, you know, until until we have fully transformed the judiciary. But we've made a lot of the president has made a lot of progress on that front. And um, I, I think that actually does create, you know, a lot more future opportunities to, to get some of those things accomplished, provided, you know, we, we start electing real conservatives that will stand up and actually fight for the things that their constituents believe in. Stop all this nonsense. Stop playing their game. And, and then guess what? Republican voters will probably come back, you know, and, and you, you might actually win the House of Representatives back. Indeed, and I actually do something that's Republican with it rather than just passing Democrat budget bills and Democrat priorities. I want to, you know, I want to get this one in, Daniel, because you mentioned it earlier, but, you know, so the abortion issue, right? Like, it's another example. Like, and let, let me explain. I call it Career Politician 101, right? So Ms. Ms. Granger, of course, has been on national television. Um, it was at MSNBC, I believe. Maybe CNBC, so I don't want to get it wrong. Um, declaring herself a pro-choice Republican and then actually, you know, going into some detail about why she, you know, is a pro-choice Republican. And then- How long ago was this? That, that that interview was actually in 2007. So, but then in 2014, or two, I'm sorry, in 2016, you know, she issues d- during, before we took the Congress back, you know, when Obama was still in office, and it, it, just for purely political reasons, she issues this call to Obama, hey, Obama, we need to defund Planned Parenthood. Oh, you're, it's so shameful. You haven't defunded Planned Parenthood. Guess what? Six months later, we have it all. Where was the call to defund Planned Parenthood? Gone. She, and she was a subcommittee chairman on the Appropriations Committee. She, she could have done it right then. There was no discussion about it. So this is the games they play. They say one thing, they do another. They tell you whatever you want to hear when it's re-election time. The good news about this district is our, our primary voters are smart. They're smart and they're well-informed and they're engaged and they, and they vote. And so we think that's going to create a big opportunity here for us because the contrast, you know, you know, between her record and having like a legitimate, you know, conservative represent this district is is a bright contrast. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the remaining moments. Are there any other issues that you feel a burning desire that need to be addressed that you're committed to really the first six, 12 months that you're up there to pushing legislation, being a, a voice for? Yeah, so I'll you know I'll enjoy uh, as a sponsor the the um, Heartbeat Protection Act, which I think 93 Republican Congress people have signed on to so far. Not Congresswoman Granger, uh, but you know then my priority you know beyond that is absolutely you know the border and immigration reform. It's it's getting you know what we need to adequately secure the border in terms of funding, adequate resources in terms of people, and really you know collaborating with these sheriffs down here that support me particularly, you know, Sheriff Wavering, because, again, he has kind of a national platform. And we're going to work together to basically, you know, be the voice of this issue so that we start, you know, so, so, that, so that, you know, our side of the issue, kind of, the, you know, the law and order side of the issue is adequately represented, um, you know, not just in Texas, but across the country. It needs a voice right now. And I, I, I want to be that voice. Interior enforcement, that, that is the big deal. If they cannot commit a crime here and remain here, if they cannot get public benefits, if they cannot get a job, if they cannot steal identity, which is a big one, they, they really won't come. And that's it's, it's all about that. Um, it, it's not rocket science. There's the enforcement part. And then, as you well know, there's, you know, there's eliminating the incentives. And I mean, these things that if you go to a hospital around here in the urban areas, you know, a county hospital packed, packed on the weekends, right? These things, healthcare is expensive for us already. Tell me about it, yeah. 
Texas has one of the highest property tax burdens in the entire country. How do you, that's how we pay for our schools, right? So these are things that just folks are afraid to talk about that we are not afraid to talk about because they, they're common sense, they're logical, and it's not cruel. It, you know, you make a conscious choice to break the law and come here. There's, you know, sorry. You know, it's, sure. it's just not fair to the rest of us. Governance by the consent of the governed. It, it is the resources of the United States government are not of a private citizens to give away. If you want to open up a missionary inn in El Salvador, God bless you. But what you cannot do... Yeah, but this is what I can't understand is that it, the social compact is that if you are an elected representative from Texas, you you don't represent the citizens of Mexico or, or, or El Salvador or any other country. Um, it, it's not to cast aspersions on anyone. It's, you represent your people. I'm the head of a household. I got three kids. I got a wife. I can't say, you know what? I'm going to go to downtown Baltimore, deal with the social problems there and the bloods and the crips, maybe invite them in my home. I got to take care of my kids. That's not being a good person. And and look, as they say, as parents love to say, it's not even a democracy. It's, it's a dictatorship a, a family home. Whereas here, they work for us. I mean, the notion that they could turn around and I mean, but I'm just telling you, you, your representatives there in Texas, by and large, all they care about is is the desires, wants and needs of the legal immigrants. Yeah, well, they're being bullied. You know, they're being bullied by the liberal media predominantly. And you know, as you know, what most what, what, what do most congressional folks care about getting reelected? So that's where they apply most of their energy. And you actually made a really good point about the kids. I tell people this all the time. So I have two kids on, uh, you know, college campus here, the, the big one here in town. And part of the reason I did this is I, I was on that campus a lot during the 2016 election, which, of course, here in Texas was influenced mightily by by Beto and his 90, 80 or 90 million dollars. And it scared it was chilling. Let's just put it that way. It was absolutely chilling. You know what? I, the, what I saw on that college campus, and I have a feeling we're going to see a repeat of it this year. If particularly, Bernie gets, you know, the yeah, nomination. Yeah. And so, even on a college campus where the majority of students come from, you know, politically, socially conservative backgrounds, they have no voice anymore no, because they no. are drowned out by these radical progressive socialists, and they just absolutely torture them if they have any sort of opposing viewpoint. And again, that is a function of not enough leadership or not enough representation, not just in Congress, ever people, you know, standing up to them and pushing back. And that's what we just desperately need right now. We need it. We need it everywhere. But we particularly need it in Washington. And I know that, you know, this congressional district is hungry for that. Starving for for people outside your district who are hungry for where could they go to find out more information about your candidacy? Yeah, so a couple places, putnamfortexas.com, that's P-U-T-N-A-M, F-O-R, texas.com, putnamfortexas.com, at Putnam for Texas on both uh, Facebook and, and Twitter. And did you want to spend a couple minutes on the campaign itself, Daniel, or are you short? Sure, I, I, if you have about two, three minutes, then yeah, we'll close with that. Yeah, I think this is very important. Like As you mentioned, so we are generally recognized at this point in the campaign by the New York Times, Politico, Texas Tribune, local media as the biggest or the most high profile uh, GOP primary in the entire country. In fact, some say it's the only it's the only yeah. primary where a challenger you know, potentially has a chance to win. And look, we, there's a lot of energy that went into this by a lot of folks, uh, you know, again, folks in, in um, you know, in leadership in the community and law enforcement leadership in the community. Um, it was not just about me. Um, I, one of the things I did actually in city council in my role, we didn't talk a lot about that was I passed term limits. So I'm a huge supporter of term limits as well, congressional term limits. Um, 
but we, we absolutely have a chance to win. And we are, we are, we, we've got, we've got both sides of the equation. We have, we have the grassroots support, which is, is just absolutely blowing up right now. And we have, we're strong financially. So, you know, we, we announced very early in the campaign that I'd raised a half a million dollars inside a couple of weeks of the campaign. And we did that by, um, you know, I basically fundraised a quarter million dollars and matched dollar for dollar with my own money. So, you know, I'm good quarter million dollars into this of my own money right now. And then, of course, you know, we got the commitment from Club for Growth, um, which uh, happened late last week. And it, this is public. They came out with a million dollar plus ad buy right out of the gate. So I, I believe that by, you know, the time this campaign is over, there's a good, you know, there, there's going to be a significant amount of money put at this race. But, you know, what I will say is like on the campaign side, we're, as you know, uh, challengers are at incredible disadvantage because outside of, you know, good books yeah. like Club for Growth. And by the way, first challenge race that they've supported in four years. So this, that's yes. when it's, they, they believe that this race is the one that has the ability to fundamentally transform the culture in Washington, um, you know, more so than any other. And so we are well financed, but our, the campaign side, we're at a tremendous disadvantage because, of course, we have to rely on individual contributions where, you know, incumbents get a, a bunch of pack and lobbyist money. So, you know, what I would ask your viewers is check us out if you like us, please, you know, small amounts of money, big amounts, but, you know. We could we could we could use some help on that front, and, and I think what you'll find is this is this is a big one, and it's a big one for the conservative movement. And you, I'll tell you, in Texas, the conservative movement is excited. I mean, we have the support of everybody, so like all guns are being pointed right here, you know, in in, in this district in Fort Worth, Texas. There you have it, folks. Stay focused. Um, Chris, look, thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome to come back, update us as this campaign progresses. Um, Texas's 12th district. The primary is coming up very soon, early March. This is our big chance. All righty. Our early voting, February 18th. And by the way, if you're in this area, we'd love to have your volunteer support as well. Perfect. Well, you heard it. You know where to go. If you have any questions for Chris, let me know. I could email him and talk about it on the show. Thank you, Chris. We'll see you later. Take care. All righty. Folks, you know I don't mess around, and I'm not going to ask you to throw money into a hole but I will tell you there's a lot of candidates I'm just going to bring on but some I will push very hard for and the ones that I don't it's not necessarily that I I don't have the confidence it's just I don't know enough about them but a guy willing to challenge an incumbent it's very different than an open seat this is really I mean this is the only opportunity I see and he is right he's not bluffing there he did put in his own money he does have a very substantial campaign for a challenger so he really does have an even chance maybe more of winning this um, the club for growth is supporting him so folks you always ask me what could I do what could I do this is the message we need to send knock off a committee chair um, and a guy that will actually be with chip and some of our friends this is your time this is your chance usually when you get guys that are righteous they don't have a campaign they have twenty thousand dollars um there's just nothing you can do to 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 put them over the finish line anyway that is not the case here it might be the only race where this is true but let's take what we can get um let's let's achieve what what is achievable for now we're out of time it's been a great week folks Again, send this to every everywhere you know, everyone you know. Subscribe on, on iTunes. Leave us a, a good review so we could uh, really get picked up by the algorithms. Spread the message far and wide. Stay focused. Stay knowledgeable. 
stay empowered. God bless and have a terrific weekend.